Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Underrated Movie Podcast, a podcast where we take a look at underrated and underappreciated films. I am your host, Derek McDuff, and today we're going to be talking about a film that I've had on the docket for a while, and that would be Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 3. And joining me today, uh, my esteemed guests from the Midnight Film Society, uh, the other podcast that I do, is Damien P. Sherman. How's it going? (laughs) How's it going, Damien? Pretty, Pretty good, man. How are you? Good, good. For anyone out there who's not aware, by the way, Happy New Year to everybody. Yes. For anybody who is not aware, this is uh, the first day of the podcast getting a kind of a rebrand, keeping the same name and everything, but uh, some new artwork, all that good stuff. And yeah, we'll be releasing uh, still every other Wednesday, or sorry, every other Monday. But um, you know, now it's going to be on a different Monday, so that's why we got two episodes in a row. Which also means that uh, now me and Damien shows, which used to be on the same day, will get uh, released on opposite weeks. So if you you won't have to hear me two, twice on the same day if you are listening to both of those shows. You can space out your Derek listening. Which uh, yeah yeah you recently we recently had a rebrand over there on Midnight Film Society as well. Uh, I don't know yes. if you wanted to mention to that to the people. Yeah, new rebrand, new artwork. I commissioned a um, podcast artwork from the same person that does. If anybody's familiar with Criminal, um, their podcast, every episode has a new and unique piece of artwork. Uh, fortunately, don't have her name offhand, but uh, go to criminal.com and check out the artwork there. I got the same person to do my artwork, and it's very, it's one of the best. I told her this. It's one of the best commissioned pieces of art I've done for any sort of podcasting Thing I've done so far, so definitely check that stuff out. Definitely did a re- big rebrand, did big rebrand because you know for a while we've been doing pretty much street film reviews for the last couple of years. So I thought it was uh, high time to finally put a new coat of paint on the old podcast wagon over there. So yep, you can. It's under the same feed as Can I Say Something. So if you're subscribed to that podcast, don't have to do anything. It's on the same bat channel, same bat time every other Monday. You can get that anywhere you get podcasts. Right, right. Very nice. And then yeah, that reminds me, I should shout out my friend Connor, who um, I commissioned to do the new podcast artwork uh, for Underrated, which I am very happy with. Check out his stuff, Little Guy Designs. He's also got some t-shirts and stuff. I've bought a couple of as well. He's a great artist and, uh, you know, did some great work for me. So I was very happy with that. Also, the Midnight Film Society uh, artwork looks awesome as well. So Check check both of that stuff out, and then they also did new artwork, new branding for the Patreon. Under it's called Underrated Disc Two now, still on the same Underrated Movie Podcast on Patreon, but now it's got a whole new look and everything. But you know, now all the housekeeping <laughs> at the top is out of the way. Yes, yes. let's let's dive into this one, this 2007 yeah. or swing into yeah. it rather. You should say. <laughs> swing into it. Yes. So yeah, this Shh. is the, the, what's the sound? Yeah, thank you. But um. What's the what's the sound he makes oh, when the what's the wick? It's it's well, it's, it's wick. Thank you. It's wick, wick, yeah, yes, wick. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, but yeah, as we all know, this is directed by Sam Raimi, uh, who directed all three films in the original Spider-Man trilogy. Um, of course, starring um, Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, uh, or Kristen Dunst, and James Franco. 
Along with this time, uh, are, they are joined by the likes of Thomas Hayden Church, Topher Grace, and Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, of course, with you know actors like J.K. Simmons in his iconic role yep. as J. Jonah Jameson. Yes. Screenplay by Raimi and his brother Ivan, as well as Alvin Sargent, Oscar-winning screenwriter. And this will become important later, edited by Bob Morosky, yeah. who is also... Uh, won an Academy Award, but Damien, yeah, when this one dropped in 2007, what did you think of it, and what have you thought of it over the years? I know this one has quite the reputation <laughs> online, to say the least. Massive, massive reputation. It doesn't need to be said. Just uh, one more note of the um, sort of blow the line uh, credits there. Christopher Young does the music, um, yes. stepping in for the famously Danny Elfman did the scores for the first two films. So um, I did. I, I don't know if I noticed. I, I don't know if somebody asked me was that the same guy. I probably wouldn't have known. You know, I don't know if you noticed any sort of difference between this one and the and the first two in that respect. Yeah, it's it's something that I think at the time I feel like subconsciously I was like, is this a little bit different? And then I saw it wasn't Elfman. I was like, oh, that makes sense. It wasn't a thing where like yeah. I would have like this is definitely not him. But when somebody told us like, okay, <laughs> I get that. Yeah. But yeah, I, there's, I have some stuff to say about his score. Not a ton, but a little yes. bit. I've got a couple notes on his score as well. Yes. But yeah, he, he stepped in because Danny Elfman uh, is a big old creep. Um, I don't know if people yeah. know this, but yeah, he's he's kind of got a reputation. Yes, he does. <laughs> so uh, yeah, overall, what I thought of this, when I, I, I have uh, succinct memories of seeing this the day it came out. The, the theater was was packed. This was before they had reservation seating. So I believe we, we probably got a seat somewhere up front. We got there pretty late. Big, you know, big anticipation there. Um, this is 07. So this is the, a year before Iron Man. Those were, that was probably in the works, but I didn't really have any idea that that it was being in the works. I wasn't really as into filmmaking and keeping up on what's. The, I didn't have my finger on the pulse, as I would say, mm-hmm. uh, on media as much as I do now. So when did this uh, as a as a spry 22 year old um, loving the first movie, loving the second movie? Obviously, the second is held up as one of the best movies, superheroes movies of all time. So this is a few years after that. Had no idea about, you know, any behind the scenes of like, oh, so they have, they have a new villain. That's going to be too much. They had no idea about the behind the scenes of people like Avi, Avi Arad, which which alongside Isaac Perlmutter got the rights to the movie adaptation. So he had a lot to do with, we'll, go, we'll, we'll get into it later, but he had a lot to do with the villains that were in this. Again, no idea back then. So to answer your question, back then, highly anticipated it and when i saw it and i liked it and i walked out i was like yeah that was weird i think i think weird and uh off kilter and i was like um hmm, okay <laughs> you know in my in the halcyonic days of, of of being a young person and being somebody that didn't think about media critically as i do now i probably came out of this as like I don't know. Some something's weird about that, but I don't. Know, I don't know how I feel about it. You know, it's one of those like, uh, if your sexual awakening, you have like those weird feelings <laughs> of like, what is this? What is this feeling I'm feeling of like, you know? And walking out of this, I had feelings of like, something's not right. I don't know what's going on. I I can't put my finger on. It. I can't. I can't um, articulate my feelings very well about this. But that didn't feel right. And so jump to now, seeing it for the first time. This is probably my first time seeing it since then in full. Um, still didn't like it. I don't think it's a great movie. Um, I don't think it's a good movie. Um, I think some of the digital effects hold up fairly well. Um, I think James Franco, in, again, in the light of being a creep, the things he does in this movie do come off, do hit very, very differently than they did back then. So overall, didn't like it then. 
still don't, still don't like it now. Basically, that's my overall thoughts on Spider Man Three. Right, right, and you know yeah. we had talked about beforehand. I asked you to to watch the uh, editor's cut, which I got a chance to yeah. check out. Uh, did you get? Yes. And you you said you did not get a chance to do that. Is that correct? Right. So the thing was like, I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't watch it. So I watched the regular version. We can sort of compare notes there. Mm-hmm. And so the editor's version I read was, you know, they had a few minutes added here. So I'm taken off there. So in terms of like, was it, it's not a three hour cut or let's not, it's not the Snyder cut. It's not, uh, not, not a lot of like major plot, plot beats or plot points were changed. So overall, tell me what, so I, I saw the same version I saw back in 2007. You saw a different version. Can you just tell us what specifically what was different and how it affected your enjoyment well, of watching it? Yeah, let me back up a little bit because, yeah, yeah I, I do want to sure. talk about, you know, and this is not a thing that is widely known that there is this editor's cut Yeah, that came out a couple of years ago by Morosky, the original mm-hmm. editor, um, who, you know, I have a lot of respect for. He edited all these movies, edits most of Raimi's movies. He won that Oscar for The Hurt Locker. And saw this as something he wanted to go back to. And, you know, I had a very similar experience to you when I originally saw this, where I watched it and I was like, I liked that, but there was something kind of off about it. There was something kind of weird about it. And I had, though, a lot of knowledge going into it, like who the villains were going to be and stuff like that. Like, I I was a really big Spider-Man. Spider-Man was my favorite superhero at the time, and he might still be. So I was very big into the first movies. I watched the shows in the 90s. Uh, I had seen Thomas Hayden Church on like Conan or something, and he was—he had this whole thing where he's like, "I'm not allowed to say who, what the name of the villain is, but mm-hmm. I can say the name of like the person." And he was like, "I'm Flint Marco," and then the crowd was like, "Sandman." And he was like, "I can't confirm it," and I like it was one of those things. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I kind of knew going in what it was going to be, and knowing I loved Venom from the old TV show, so I was like mm-hmm. hyped on that, and I think that Avi Arad and you know, some other studio people uh, were like, we've got to put Venom in this movie. And I think yeah. that had a lot of, that was not the story that Raimi wanted to tell. Raimi was much more interested in this Sandman story and that whole arc, which I think is yeah. the much stronger thing. And I think that it does get a little yeah. crowded, a little bit convoluted with all of the Venom stuff. But I think that some, a positive thing that came from the Venom stuff is the black suit Spider-Man and you know, Toby's whole thing or Spider-Man slash Peter Parker's whole thing about anger and vengeance and not letting be able to let being able to let go of the past and this cycle of revenge and how, you know, and I, I had mixed feelings about the retcon of the uncle Ben's death, but I think it kind of makes little things a little bit messy in the first two, but it makes sense in this movie because it's like, Oh, he created me and then he and then you know peter kind of creates him like you know the sandman is such a like the these first these these spider-man movies unlike a lot of superhero movies today which are like oh well the villain is sympathetic yeah but they're doing an evil thing for a good reason this one is just like yeah these are guys who you know just kind of end up being like mad scientists who destroy themselves or in this one it's just a guy who as he puts it, you know, he's not a bad person. He's just had bad luck. And he's yeah. like robbing banks, but he's not like an egomaniacal person who's like trying to take He's like robbing banks because he has a sick daughter. You know, yeah. like it's, it's, yeah. it's like, and he has a daughter who has cancer or some unspecified disease. And Spider Man's out there trying to stop him. And he's like, yeah, I want to 
you know, stop Spider-Man because he keeps trying, keeps stopping me. I'm trying to provide for my daughter. And those thematic elements all work very well in tandem. I think that it just got cluttered with other things. And I think that, yeah, and because I had, I've seen this movie multiple times over the years. And I even wrote a piece way, way back in the day for like a personal blog for this blog that I used to do about when the Amazing Spider-Man movies came out about how it was three was a much better film than those. And, and it kind of has this reputation on the internet where it's like, yeah, people like you, you know, you hadn't seen the movie in years, but everyone like, it's like, Oh well, yeah, that's a bad movie. Yeah. And I think that that reputation is kind of undeserved. It's not a perfect movie. There's definitely issues with it, but people tend to think of it as like, Oh, this movie's so bad. It killed the franchise. And like critics hate it. And it's like, no, it had a fresh score on Rotten Tomatoes and it made a lot of money. It was like, the highest grossing superhero movie at the time until the MCU came out. It was the highest grossing Spider-Man movie until Far From Home came out. It's just that mm. Spider-Man 4, they were starting production Spider-Man 4, and the studio once again is like, cool, we want this stuff all like by this day. And Raimi was like, I just dealt with all this other studio interference. I'm leaving. Raimi leaves, so Toby leaves, so they just rebooted instead. Which, yeah. you know, we all saw how that went. Yeah. But... <laughs> To answer your original question, I was very curious because this was a movie that always felt like this is a good movie. It's just there's just some things that are just kind of off about it. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, there's it's not a majorly different movie. It's not like the Zack Snyder Justice League. It's not Ridley Scott's director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven. So the point where when I, I rent it because you can it came out originally as like a bonus feature for like a Blu-ray or something. This editor's yeah. cut or it's also been called Spider-Man 3.1. And when I went in, I was like, am I just, did I get the wrong thing? Did I just rent the, the regular version? Because it's pretty close. But a lot of the tweaks that are pretty minor make a lot of difference. And I think speak to the power of just editing and flow. And a lot of times when you see these, these cuts, you know, these alternate visions, because directors uh, get seen incorrectly, in my opinion, as these ultimate auteurs of the movie, they're the ones who have the power, but I love that it was an editor this time who was like, no, let me go in and tweak some things. And he uses some alternate cuts. There's a cut, there's a lot more stuff about the suit kind of corrupting Spider-Man and the negative pull it has. There's an alternate scene with the Ditkoviches where he apologizes to Ursula instead of the dad, which I think is a much better character thing. Um, there's a lot of little moments like that. There's like a couple like little, there's some alternate takes. There's the one, the fight that they have at the end starts a little di- differently. I, I was worried they were going to take out the the dance sequence, which I'm sure we'll get, or the, you know, the kind of like <laughs> Spider-Man James Brown strut, which I know people on the internet don't like it, but I think it's so Sam Raimi and so perfect. But they keep that in. But there's a lot less Venom stuff. Topher Grace is reduced, I think, drastically and appropriately to where he is just kind of there to be this this uh, this clone figure, to take a John Truby term, he's he's kind of the dark version of Spider-Man. He's created by his hate. You know, I love that he says, get religion. And then so he goes to a church and prays <laughs> for him to die. And then that's where he gets the Venom symbiote. Uh, and so, gotcha, you know, gotcha. he's he's there as the shadow to Spider-Man. And he serves the plot more appropriately, I feel like, in the editor's cut. But I think the thing that the editor's cut does the best and made me so happy when I saw it is there's a moment towards the end of Spider-Man three that I despise that I think most people despise. that I think actively kind of ruins the movie and almost tips it over into it being a bad movie for me. It's when 
And this is something that's been parodied to death on the internet when, you know, he's like, come help me out. Help me find the Sandman. You know, Spider-Man shows up at Goblin's house and he's like, help me find the Sandman. And he's like, no, fuck off. Yeah. And then the butler yeah. comes out of nowhere and is like, your father got killed by his own thing. <laughs> and you're like, it's so bad. It's so fucking yeah. dumb. That is yeah. replaced by, instead, he looks at a picture that is broken of the three of them from better times. And I think what that does that is so important is it it's, it takes out that contrivance, first of all, which is a bad, dumb contrivance. Yeah. And instead of it just being like he makes the goblin gets this redemption, he makes this decision because of some outside force that completely takes away his agency and his ability to see his father as he truly is and to see his friends as they truly are. It puts it back on him. It puts it all in his own headspace and makes that decision once again his own decision. And it yeah. makes that arc that these characters have had over the three films hit so much. You know, they're they're be- they're friends in the first one. It ends with that. You know, I want Spider Man de- dead in the first one, and then when the second one, that was one of my favorite cliffhangers ever. Is he pulls off the mask? Oh my god, it's my best friend Peter. He's betrayed me. And for him to kind of fully realize, like, no, he, he never really betrayed me. Yeah. It's it's I have been in the wrong. And for him to actively make that decision really strengthens strengthens the end of this movie for me. So yeah, those to answer your question, long story short, those are yeah. the differences. Gotcha. The guy that told him about that, his butler, was John Paxton. It was uh, Bill, Bill Paxton's father, actually. Oh, wow. Bernard. Yeah. No, I, one, one, he has one of the great lines in the movie when he's just yeah. like, uh, Bernard, do I have any girlfriends? Not I know of, sir. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, uh, yeah, really well said. Um, I do just want to point to one thing that I, that I mm. saw in this movie that really bugged me, which I, you know, I understand like superhero movies are generally held to a different standard, right? We can't just, you can say that it has, it has to make sense. It has to have a good storyline. It has to have these sympathetic parts. It has to, it has to, a superhero movie still has to adhere to storytelling parameters of, did you make me feel something for the character? Did you provide a good motivation? Those type of things, right? But there are those, those, you know, superhero movies never, probably never win an Oscar for best picture. I understand that, right? It's not, it's not Citizen Kane that everyone says. But there was a, a speech or some kind of, lesson or some kind of presentation that trey parker and matt stone were giving i don't know if you heard about this where they talk about the the and then speech of like oh yeah 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 yeah. so i have it pulled up here they said quote we found out this really simple rule that maybe get you guys have really heard before but we took a long time to learn it we can take these beats which are basically the beats of your outline the words and if the words and then belong in between those beats you're fucked basically you've got something pretty boring what should happen between every beat as you've written down it's either the word therefore or but what i'm saying is if you come up with an idea and it's like so this happens right but then that happens no 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 it should be this happens and therefore this happens but this happens therefore this happens literally we'll write down something to make sure we're doing it we have our beats we'll say okay this happens and this happens and that affects this and does that that's why you get a show that feels like this to that this to that that's here's complication to that Mastone said, fuck, I see these movies. You see these movies where you're just watching and this this happens and then this happens and this happens. And then you're like, in a movie, and you're like, what am I watching this for? So in this movie, I'm not sure if it was in a lot of the other Spider-Man movies. I haven't rewatched them before, but I'm just going just to quickly go through some of the major beats of this movie. It's it's a movie that 
I think doesn't stand on its own very well because, you know, at the beginning they do this quick rush through of like, in the, in the opening credits, they show the first one, they show the second one. So if you haven't seen those two, you're kind of quickly caught up, right? Mm-hmm. But he, James Franco's character, you, you know, the, um, what's his name? Harry Osborn. Uh, Harry Osborn. Yeah, he's just like I hate Spider Man. I know I hate Peter Parker. I hate I hate both of them. Very quickly, just goes through and gets the powers, and then starts fighting him, and then gets gets hit in the head, and doesn't remember things. His his arc in this movie, like you said, probably ends very very well, like you said, uh, because of the editing, because of the new um, scene put in there, the way they they flesh his character out at the end. In your version, it does sound very good, but. The things he does in this movie, like he said, are then he and then he does this, and then he gets the powers, and then he attacks Peter Parker, and then he gets his memory lost. There's no this thing happened because of that thing, therefore this happened. There was no but. There was no like you said, agency. There was very little agency in Harry Osborne's uh, character. And if you look at the reason that Peter Parker does the things he does, why does he do that? Because he got stuck with, and then the the asteroid lands on Earth, and then it sticks to, to Peter Parker, and then he gets. Uh, really angry and really emo. See what I'm saying? Like all that, a lot of a lot of the um, reasons for the plot points in this movie are that something else is shoving them towards it. Like um, again, the, the 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 venom is a very good example of you know it attaches itself to Topher Grace, it attaches itself to Eddie Brock, and so therefore he attacks he attacks Peter Parker. There's so many moments in this movie that I'm just like so. The, the, the motivation behind what they're doing isn't because of the thing we saw in this movie or a thing that they are, like you said, very well. At the end, like you said, in the original version, the butler says to him, this thing happened, right? So the butler is, like like you said, in the original version, the butler says to him, your father didn't get killed by Peter Parker. He did himself, right? So, you, so you, like you said, that's that does takes away his energy. That takes away his motivation to then make up with Peter Parker and help him fight help him fight the Venom and the Sandman, right? So Yeah, okay. Right? Am I, am I getting I mean, right? I, I kind of disagree with you, to be honest. I, I think that there is a pretty clear... Like you say, okay. So, yeah, he... You know, there is... A, there is and thens from before the movie. Like I mean, but that's... It's the end of a trilogy, so that makes sense. So in the last movie, he saw that he was Spider-Man, so therefore yeah. he goes to fight him, and he hits his head, and therefore he yeah. has no memory. So therefore, Peter Parker is thinking that his life is happy, everything's going well, and he starts to take his relationship for granted and kind of back talks to Mary Jane. Uh, and yeah. then that causes, or <laughs> therefore, that causes Mary Jane <laughs> Is it to, therefore, or is it that and then? Yes, therefore, he's taking his relationship for granted. <laughs> so she goes to Harry because she doesn't trust Peter because he she can't talk to him. She's tried multiple that times. Was for, that was a forced relationship. That was a massively forced relationship there, I thought. Was she in the previous movies? Again, I haven't seen the, the previous movies in a long time. You can Well, I have. And I let can. me continue. Let me continue. That so sure. therefore she goes to him. Therefore and therefore they start to have a connection because she feels more of a connection because she's getting drawn away from Peter and kisses him and therefore his memories come back and therefore he goes to Peter and tries to attack him once again and they and therefore gets his ass kicked. And therefore, when Peter comes back to him again, they start to reconcile a little bit. So I, I just I, I kind of disagree with your with your uh, analysis there, to be honest. I think you could make the case as both. I think it's it could be seen as both. Like I said, the um, I just read the book Normal People, a very good mm-hmm. book. I recommend it. A lot of the conflict in that book, and this is a conflict. Um, what do you call it? A conflict uh, mechanism or conflict generating a theme which is either miscommunication or no communication or somebody just 
a lot of you see that this is it's a very big trope in uh, sitcoms where somebody will say will not communicate what they're what they're feeling or thinking or doing or the motivation behind the, what they're doing and and therefore is the conflict and I think it's a very artificial it's a very uh, weak sort of uh, storytelling tool is to have two people in, in a situation where it could have been solved. And again, I understand that's a, that's a, that's a well-worn trope and it's a, it's a trope that's in a lot of movies, not just superhero movies. I get that, but it's a trope that I really can't stand. And it's in this movie where you have him getting, you know, getting the venom on him. Right. And mm-hmm. okay. So he, he, his, his psyche is affected by the venom and therefore that, okay. Therefore he can't speak the, the, what, the way he wants to, he can't communicate that, I just had this weird venom thing attack me. And was that, did he get the venom before or after he kissed Gwen Stacy on that presentation or whatever? Uh, It was after. And the venom is kind of attracted to him because of him being angry. Like Like it it gets, it gets more, more attracted to him when he finds out about the Sandman being his father's real murderer and the rage that starts to build. And I, that's why what I like, I think that it is, it makes sense in this almost like Norse Viking cycle of vengeance that just kind of builds and builds and how this, the black goo, the venom suit becomes this literal personification of just anger and vengeance that passes from one person to the next. And then, then, uh, you know, Topher Grace, because he is angry at Peter Parker and Spider-Man gets infected by, the rage, the anger that was infecting Peter Parker and that cycle just keeps going and going until the end. The cycle is finally ultimately broken because Peter forgives the Sandman in the end, which yeah. is a really powerful moment for me. And, and I get what you're saying because, you know, this is a, this is an overstuffed movie. This is a movie yes. that admittedly is overstuffed with too many villains, a lot of plot lines, and they do jump back and forth between them. So the through lines... Yeah. Are maybe a little bit muddied. I think that is a problem that is a little bit um, mitigated in once again the editor's cut, which I know most people haven't seen, but I still want to talk about it because I think it does solve these problems because a lot of the scenes are presented in a different order. There's yeah. one scene that I didn't mention before that I think is a really powerful scene where you see the Sandman in he just becomes a sandcastle and his daughter sees it. There's this really tender, sweet moment. So yeah, and I think that really does speak to the power of editing. And how something yeah. in one cut can feel like, oh, this just happened because it needed to happen at this point in the film. Whereas this this new cut flows a lot better. It's a lot more interesting. And, you know, this is they did have 10 years of hindsight in internet reactions, but it doesn't yeah. seem reactionary because there's some things in that editor's cut that stayed in that were big butts of jokes of the internet for a long time. And they stayed in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, um, just speaking to like the overall tone of it, you, you mentioned the editing, the the editor's cut does, like you said, mitigate some of the weird tonal shifts in the, in the original cut. I, I do, again, trying to defend the movie a little bit or defend the genre a little bit and sort of or defending the movie because it isn't any genre that is known for being goofy and cheesy and saccharine and all of that stuff. So just to speak to like specifically the him going emo and those dance movements. And I cringe watching this right <laughs> just now while watching it. And maybe that's the point. Again, I, I assume your response would be, you know, that's the point you're supposed to cringe at it. You're supposed to think that his behavior is childish and selfish and 
machoistic and all of these things that that you would look at and just go, oh God, Jesus, why would you whisper in that woman's ear so sensually? Hey, babe, hey, toots, give us a good seat. Oh God, do find us some shade. Find us some shade. Now dig on this. Oh, meme culture what? has reclaimed this movie tiktok what loves this movie fuck? that's fine they can they tiktok enjoys a lot of things uh, <laughs> that i don't but yeah just to the, that 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 all of that was so like you know and, and i guess the whole point of it was for him to insult mary jane again because he saw her there and he's just like rubbing it in her face what'd you what'd you think of you know an early bryce dallas howard she was in a couple of Shyamalan movies i think before this but there's one of her big breakout roles. What did you What did you think of her in this? I, I think she was good. Uh, I, I definitely yeah. think she was interesting. She was a really good foil. I think that you know a lot of people pointed out that you know her character and Mary Jane's characters would have been switched from what they were more traditionally like in the comics, which I think is interesting. Uh, and interestingly enough, in real life, she's a redhead, and Kristen, uh, not Kristen Bell, uh, <laughs> Kristen, uh, Kristen Dunst. Kristen Dunst, Dunst. Thank you. Kristen Dunst is a is a blonde, uh, blonde, so they they had yeah. even a hairstyle switch. But yeah, I thought she was really yeah. good. I think that all the casts that come into this are good. But I, but I also wanted you you talked about a lot about the the cringy stuff, the yeah. um you know, and that being like a thing of the genre and the cheesiness. And I think that I think that's less of a genre convention and more of like a Sam Raimi kind of thing, because all of his movies have that kind of quality where it's like almost kind of cringe, but it's just like really over the top and goofy and ridiculous. Uh, like all of his movies are like, like watch um, drag me to hell. That's, that's just like over the top. And, and that's how all of these movies are. You know, that's how it's been since evil dead. And I, so I kind of like watch it in, you know, that same with that Sam Raimi appreciation and, you know, watching being like, yeah, what would a dork think is cool? Like Spider-Man <laughs> is a dork. And yeah. he's not instantly because he gets venom and is trying to be cool, going to actually be cool. This is what a not cool person's idea of a cool person is. So I, yes. I thought that really, you know, one thing that Morosky complained, uh, compared it to was it's he's like, yeah, it's, you know, you have this montage of him walking around and stuff like that, just like there was in Spider-Man 2 where they had the raindrops keep falling on my head one. And this one, he's like, I use James Brown in the same way that I used Burt Bacharach in the last one. So that all really worked for me in the level of his, of the Raimi campiness. Uh, that was, that is, you know, frame is, is present in the other ones. And I think that this movie balances those tones uh, a lot better. All three of these movies, the Spider-Man films balance those tones a lot better than uh, a lot of modern day superhero movies where, you know, some will just say a joke. And whereas here yeah. it's, it's, it's just like, you know, something funny will happen and something tragic will happen. You're like, Oh wow! Like that—that that kind of you hit me all at once. It's not just like ah, oh, we need someone to say a joke now because it's been five minutes. It—it it feels like very true to the style of filmmaking. We haven't even mentioned uh, the man himself who who cameos in in <laughs> all of uh, Sam Sam Raimi's movies, and of course here playing the snooty French Maitre D. Yeah. So why? Oh my gosh! I'm like. Spacing on everybody's uh, names yeah, the, today. Yes, uh, Bruce Campbell. Bruce Campbell, thank you, Bruce Campbell. Who? Yep. How, how could I forget? He so iconic. So yeah. I, I don't. Do you have any? How do you feel about like the whole kind of Raimi style, the Raimi <laughs> vibes yeah. of this movie? Yeah, that's again what I one of my big problems with the with the movie is, is that there's 
very long drawn out scenes of character building and um, interpersonal relationship building, especially with you know Rosemary Harris's Mae Parker. I think I think that scene worked very well. I think she's one of the best Mae Parkers. I think it's um, they're going in the direction of. Aunt May gonna be hot. <laughs> Aunt May has gotten hotter progressively over these movies. <laughs> She's so you're saying Aunt May is not hot enough for you in this movie. In this movie, I'm sorry, I'm not a gilf. That is not one of my <laughs> one of my predilections. Um, no, I mean I don't that, know that that's that's yeah. what I'm going for when I watch an Aunt May role, but sure. Yeah, the I don't know, man. I think that that it's it's a good like I was gonna say it's a good scene isolated by itself, and the um, the scene with him dancing is. It's funny and goofy in in and of itself, right? And the um, family stuff with Sandman, it, good in and of itself. I like that scene, isolated, compartmentalized by itself. All those things work together very well by themselves. Then you mix it into one movie, it doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. And also the fact that each of those scenes I just mentioned go on for a very long time. I think if you just trim some of that down, it would have been uh, a lot, lot more um, digestible to have not as much of, of, of any of those things. And I do want to just speak to one thing where it's, I saw a rumor that they were thinking about splitting this movie into two because of how much story and characters mm-hmm. are introduced yeah. in, into this movie. I saw that and they said that one of the reasons they didn't do that was because they couldn't find a good place to leave off the first half of the movie. And one thing I did write down, I just wanted to speak to you about the overstuffedness of it. Um, because when we talk about this movie, we say, well, they introduced Brock, they introduced Gwen Stacy, and they introduced Sandman. So those are, you know, three characters. Actually, it's six. If you think about the fact, well, not not um, not Bryce Dallas Howard, not Gwen Stacy, That's but the other two are are villains. They're, they're, they're people, but then they have a separate, you know, villain character. So when you're introducing two characters that are villains, you're introducing the person with the backstory, with the family and all of that, right? But then you also have to introduce the villain. What's the villain? What are their power sets? What's the accident? What are they? And then you have to say, you have to um, establish them as dangerous, as scary, because it's very hard to do in the third movie because you already established your hero as somebody who can take on very strong and very scary and very powerful villains. So I think all of that combined of like having all of that to introduce and to... Um, Make sure the audience is aware of the fact that they are scary and powerful, and there is a chance—a small chance, obviously—but a, a chance that uh, our hero can lose to these people, even though we've seen them, even even though we've seen them overcome very powerful villains in the past. So I thought that was just something worth mentioning there. Yeah, I mean, and you touch on a few things. Uh, you mentioned that because that is true. They did talk about potentially splitting this one into two movies. Uh, which at yeah. the time I was like, maybe they should have done that. But yeah. the more I think about that over the years, the more I'm glad they didn't because I have really come to loathe those two film split movies. Uh, we've got like three of them this year uh, where we just got part ones of movies and all of them, well, I guess two this year and one last year. Well, no, yeah, there's three this year and then a couple last year too. And yeah. all of them have felt unfinished. Even even the Spider-Man movie that came out this year, which was very good, I left yeah. the theater being like, well, that was not a whole movie. That was half of a movie. And I, I really want to watch a full movie. Even yeah. the Lord of the Rings, um, which, by the way, Lord of the Rings Two Towers introduces a shit ton of characters. And so it shows you can do it. They're like, there's nothing that says you can't just introduce six new characters and it's going to necessarily automatically be a bad thing. There's there's definitely ways to do that. But, you know, the, if you can build a way to have a finale that feels like an actual end of a movie 
like Helm's Deep at the end of Two Towers, like the Breaking the Fellowship at the end of the first one, it, and it doesn't feel cheapened, then sure, go for it. But if it's just something like, well, we were on this train chase and now the guy's over there, uh, or oh, uh, like Dominic Toretto just stopped in the middle of the movie, like those things really bug me. Uh, I've never liked that. That became a trend that I was I just really disliked, and I uh, would much rather see them if they said, yeah, we didn't have a way to end Spider-Man three without you know have, with Adam Clouseau. I'm glad they didn't do that. Yeah. It's another thing where, you know, once I sound like a broken record, but the editor, you know, this movie is a little over stuff. The editor's cut is actually shorter. Despite adding a scene, adding some other like stuff, they take away a lot more than they add, which is one of the few times I can think of when the the cut that gets released, uh, the editor's slash director's cut, whatever is shorter. The only other one I can think of is Alien, where they cut like the long ship sequence at the beginning. So I, I do appreciate that as well. And you know this isn't this isn't like a perfect movie or anything, but I think that I what I really love about it is just the themes of vengeance, and it's it's very Shakespearean. You have these characters who see themselves essentially as brothers, Peter and Harry, and they're kind of now set to be mortal enemies. They're sort of in love with the same woman, and you know they have this titanic clash. Uh, this super-powered, super-powered clash. And while Peter is also dealing with these feelings of vengeance and stuff that he gets, and, and on a level, maybe that is too much for one movie. Maybe you should have just done Venom or Spider- or, or Sandman or Goblin, or maybe even just two of them. But I think that, that it's still, ultimately, there's a lot more, even in the theatrical cut, that I like than I dislike. Yeah. You know, they had George Stacy, just look up the uh, Wikipedia, they had George Stacy. So my, my, <laughs> my thing about them introducing three characters, uh, it was actually six characters. You know, you have uh, James Cromwell playing the father in there, which was very interesting. I just think overall, you know, you, you can look at a relationship and be like, well, why did that, that relationship got together very quickly in that or, or fell apart very quickly. You have, I just think that that, that too of their Peter and uh, Mary Jane's relationship falls apart very quickly. She gets together with um, with Harry Osborne. You think, you think it falls because I feel like there's a lot of stuff where he's just kind of like, yeah. I'm just like, dude, you suck. Like, just like every time, because I know people like that where you'll tell them yeah. like a, your problem and they're like, well, when this, ha- this happened to me, and I'm just like, stop talking. About it. And then the ultimate betrayal when he just kind of quick kisses Gwen upside down. And I'm just like the kid in the crowd, just like, it no, is. Spidey, no. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess my problem with it is that they got together at the end of the second one, right? They were it was like a will they won't they until the end of the second one, correct? Yeah, there so they, they do so, get together at the end. Yeah, but I mean that's yeah. after two movies of build up, I will say. But my point is that they got together at the end of the first one. They broke up at the beginning of the first one. It just it's just very very it seems very hurried. But my other point was just the the melding and breaking of relationships happens very quickly. Their relationship ends very quickly. Um, you have them, her getting together with Harry fairly quickly. And then also you have, um, you That's know, not getting Venom. together. They just have a kiss and she's like, shit, okay. I shouldn't have done that. True, true. Venom and uh, Venom encounters um, Sandman. It was like, hey, I hate Peter Parker too. Let's work together. And Sandman's like, okay. She's <laughs> just like, what are, what are you? Are you going to hurt me? Do, what do you want? Uh, are we going to be together after this? Like, just a, just a quick little back and forth of like, who, what the fuck are you? 
okay. He just says, okay. <laughs> it just seemed very quickly for quick, quick for me. Just, to, just speaking on, just to speak to how quick the relationships are mended and broken in this movie. Seems just seems very abrupt to me. That's all I'm trying to say. I, I guess, yeah, that's, that's, that's a fair point. Like, like I said, this is, especially the theatrical cut, a, a pretty, a pretty overstuffed movie. Yeah. And, but you know, did you do you, you what about the do you think and you know those are all fair points um but how did the themes affect you at all how did you feel about all the stuff about redemption and forgiveness and revenge and these cycles that we go through and the breaking I mean, of the cycles yeah i mean it's just it's just tough right because it's just introducing the 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 new character of sandman and then on top of that not just the new character but then you're also saying he was there in the first one. It seems very sort of unbelievable to me. And so, because you're, you're starting the theme of revenge and all of that with somebody we'd never met before. And you're also saying, well, this story that we told you of the past two movies, it's not quite what, what we said. Um, I think the fact that, like you said, speaking to the theme of vengeance, right? He kills the guy in the first movie. Okay, we can we can audience can accept that because we believe that he killed the, his father. Okay, well then you're retracting. Then you're saying no, actually he didn't kill his father. Okay, well now now how are we supposed to feel about him killing the guy in the first movie? So for you, Derek, is are they saying it doesn't matter if he killed him or not because he shouldn't because Spider Man shouldn't have killed him anyway? Is that what you're trying to say? Mm, I, okay, so if I'm understanding you, your question correctly, it's like how yeah. do we feel? Well, because Spider-Man, yeah, Spider-Man should not have killed, killed that guy in the first one, regardless. At all, right? Regardless. And I think is that, that was that. Is that what they're yeah, saying? Yeah, and like, okay. okay, are you saying that he should have killed that guy? What are you saying? That's, that's the not... question is that we're left with. That this question the movie is asking the, the first movie and this movie is asking, right? Because uh, uh, I don't think it's that. Saying, I think it's definitively saying like, don't do that. Don't don't do that. Right. Yeah, the revenge, the right. cycles of revenge. Are are wrong, and I think this movie is building off that. And they even reference it in this movie, where Peter says something about they find out when they find out. Oh, this is the guy who we thought had killed our uncle, yeah. and he has that moment. He's like, I went down and basically hunted down this guy, and he died, and he feels very conflicted about that. And then someone's and he's like, and they're like, well, don't do anything dumb, not like last time when you last found out about this killer. Uh, or this alleged killer of Uncle Ben. And he gets, at the end of this, that, that chance to, when he explain, you know, Flint, Flint Marco kind of comes clean. And he's like, yeah, I did. I did yeah. kill your uncle. And I, I really love, I was thinking about this watching it, because when you see the flashback, you see it twice, right? You see it, yeah. and both times, it's it's a subjective thing. It's not objective. It's not an objective right, flashback. This right, is not right. presented as what happened. This is presented as Peter Parker imagining what happened with his uncle. And you see it first that he, like Flint Marco in that original one, is crazed. He's like rabid and he's snarling. And he, he just shoots him for like no reason. Then And then the other guy's like, get in the car. And he just drives. And he just has this rageful look yeah. in his face. And he kills him out of brutality and anger. And then when that scene is comes was revisited at the end of the movie and you see the Sandman tell him what he did, it's it's so sad. It's and he's not yeah, it is. you see it's not a scene of 
anger or brutality. It's this kind of guy at the worst moment of his life in a, making a mistake that he can no way undo where someone dies and it's paralleled with that decision that he made in the first one. So I think that thematically those work very well together. I oh, agree. I would say, uh, I mean, I'm like the, the, yeah. the, any retcons late in the game are always a red flag. Yes. But yes. I, I think that because they tied it in thematically to this story, yeah. I am a little more forgiving of it than I would be. Right. It's just for me that they said to the audience, okay, vengeance is bad, right? In any sense. But the only, for me, the only scaffolding, the only thing that makes you question, right? Because you, the thing that draws you into a draws you into a story is think about the morals and the ethics of what the character is doing. There is no moral quandary for his actions if you remove the fact that the guy that we thought at the beginning killed his killed the uncle didn't do it. You take away all of that moral grayness of like, well, murder is wrong, but in this situation, I can understand him doing so if. So you're saying that Peter, there's no moral ambiguity of Peter having killed the guy from the from the first one. If you remove the fact that he didn't kill his father, if you remove the fact that he killed his uncle, there is let's say less moral ambiguity to the situation, to the to the events of the movie. If you remove the fact that the in this the movie or in the other one, in the first movie, in the the first movie's moral question of is vengeance wrong, is murder wrong is completely removed if the, what we're to believe now, right, that the guy that Peter Parker killed didn't do anything, didn't kill anybody. So either way, it's wrong, right? Either way, him having killed is this guy killed? is wrong. Yeah, that's the t- position the movie is taking. The position the, the movie is taking. The gotcha, position gotcha, the movie gotcha. is clearly okay. definitively taking in those first two movies is that it was wrong. And they have a whole scene, which is one of the best scenes in not just any of these movies, but any superhero movie in the second one, where yeah. he goes to Aunt May and he's like, hey, guess what? You know that guy who killed Uncle Ben? Spider-Man went and hunted him down. Yeah. I believe that's the second one. It might have been the first one. Right. And yeah. he's like, so we're good. Like he, And she says that, first of all, Spider-Man doesn't kill people. That doesn't make sense. And second of all, that's not a good thing. This vengeance is not a good thing. So it is, no. it's, continu- it's, it's not at odds with sure. what, the, what those movies were saying. It's, okay. it's, in agreement with them. I guess I'm talking, I'm talking about to my mistake was to, to talk about my thought about it. The audience thought about it. Right. Mm. And at the same time, talk about the movies message and the movies perspective and the movies, what the movie thinks about the actions of the character. I so think you're thinking, you're saying that maybe that guy did deserve to die. Yes, like, yes, okay. yes, 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 yes. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying maybe I, one more thing just before we, then we can move on. I'm okay. saying maybe, Based on what we knew from the first movie, after and during the, the events of the first movie, me, Damien, thought that there was a question, there was a there's a moral question, there was a co- co- moral conflict about whether his actions were correct or not. Now, with them saying actually he didn't do it, now I can say, based on the fact that he didn't do it, now it's wrong. Mm-hmm. I preferred it being like you said, retconning is a really red flag, and so I would have preferred them to leave it as a question. That's all. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah. think yeah, like you, that distinction is important because like I think that the films are coming down pretty hardly on yes 
yeah, on it was yes. wrong. But like you yes. know, personally, I could see why. Yeah, that would be that, yeah. So not right that, or wrong, questionable. Okay, that's okay. That's fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. For me personally, I kind of wasn't questioning it, but uh-huh. uh, it wasn't questionable to me. But yeah, that's that's I guess you know a a matter of taste yeah, of in in watching taste, these movies. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, like we said, retconning <laughs> is is always kind of a thing. Yeah. But so speaking, you know, staying on on Flint Marco yeah. for a second, and yeah. you know, you mentioned there's some things that you you liked about there's some scenes in this movie that you really liked, and we haven't even talked about when i think is <laughs> yeah. one of the greatest scenes in any superhero movie it's yep. so good and i think the cgi surprisingly holds up it does it really does it's, it's the birth of the sandman scene yeah where you know if anybody it's that first scene where you know you see marco cat he's been turned to sand and he slowly starts to reconform and reconfigure himself and he tries to grab that lock out of a dot and it's it's got that that great score behind yes. it, you know, which is, as we said, done by, um, was it Christopher? It's done by, uh, yeah, Christopher Young. Yes. That score really affecting that scene, really powerful, looks incredible, something that probably could not have been done a couple of years prior. Did that scene yeah. hit you in the same way or did you feel anything watching that one? Yeah, this, this again, this, this, his whole arc is the best part of this movie, including that scene. It's done really well. Did they, Reference this directly in No Way Home or Far From Home, whatever it was called, when, he, when they introduce him, the Sandman. When Sandman appears in, what, what yeah, well, the did they reference what? This scene. I don't, think they, comes, I don't think he was like I was in it. Oh, he did. Yeah, he was just like like Electro is like ah, I fell into a vat of eels, and it's like oh yeah, I fell into like a vat of sand or something like that. So he does mention <laughs> it. Okay. Yeah. No, it was it was very good. Um, and he's very good in this. Thomas Hayden Church is very good in this, and just to you know use that to um talk about why the rest of the movie didn't work for me is that that stuff did no i'm serious because it's it's that stuff of like you have a very good character here you have a very good character arc you have a very good backstory you have and it and it's so at odds with the dance scene and it's so at odds with like you said the the sam raimi's thing right is is heart and it's and it's um character development and all of that stuff that we go to the movies for on top of the, the the weird goofy crazy out there stuff he past movie in past movies he has balanced it well and i completely disagree that he balances it well here i think having this scene having the aunt may scenes mixing together with the goofy stuff and also i don't know how, how did uh james franco's performance work for you because again just to answer your question, this this scene did work well for me. His performance worked well for me. Everything with him in this worked well for me. But with James Franco just being this like melodramatic guy of just like, hey, Peter Parker, yeah, that was my, I'm the other guy, and he turned does that whole turn around smirk thing, like chewing is just. I, I feel like he's in a completely different movie. You know, what, what do you think about Franco's performance in this? I liked Franco. I, by the way, I like how I'm like, oh, this is an underrated podcast. We try to like build up uh, movies that are kind of, and then you're just like, and I fucking hated it. Let's talk about something you liked. And you're like, yeah, I like that, but I maybe hate the rest of it even fucking more. Uh, but no, Franco, I think is a really, really hit or miss actor for me. But I think that yeah. Raimi knows how to use him, uh, except for in the Oz the Great and Powerful, which yeah. is like bafflingly bad, his performance in that. Wow. But Never I think he, yeah. he's, utilized, he's utilized well here. 
like that moment when the, she's like, how's the pie? And he's like, so good. He's such a little <laughs> shit. Like Franco's such a little shit that you're kind of like, and he's a shit in real life. So, you know, well, I think it's, yeah, molester, you know, but it's, a, yeah, yeah. It's a good performance. It's, it's just like, you know, when you watch seven, you're like, wow, Kevin Spacey's a psychopath murderer. You're like, yeah, also in the movie, he's crazy too, you know, like, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's it's that kind of thing where it's like, yeah, I th- I think he was good. Uh, I'm not going to say anything good about James Franco as a person. Yeah, no. But I think that he is utilized well. I think with the exception of Topher Grace, pretty much everyone is utilized well. We talked about Bryce Dallas Howard. I think she's great. I think Toby is really good in this. He kind of, you know, I, there's a reason those Bully McGuire memes have sprouted up is because <laughs> Kobe's like a nice, seems like a nice guy, but he's got kind of this mean dark streak to it. And he gets yeah. to like, that gets to come out in this movie. Right. And he's like, when I was like, I'm going to put some dirt in your eye. You know, <laughs> I, I think that there's some genuinely comedic, great moments in this that made me really laugh. You know, I already mentioned yeah. the Bernard line. Uh, I love the bit where, after he fights the sand, he's so he's so on his high horse. He's just spent the first yeah. you know thirty minutes of the movie talking about how he's the shit, and he gets this key to the city, and he makes yeah. out with his not girlfriend, and all this stuff, and he's just like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the fucking bet. And then he just gets his ass whooped by Sandman, and yeah. he's like, where do these guys come from? And he's like, Pff, and he's just like pouring the fucking sand yeah. out of the boot. Uh, I think that that Raimi style of humor, it, it really it really worked well in this movie. Did did you, did it's you just think so it was- tragic. It was just so yes, it was funny, and um, you know, I love the meme, the meme, the thing, the parts of the, that's that's been meme to death. Where he comes home, I think right after the fight he has with Sandman, after he used the water, what do you call it? Water, water pipe, right? The pipe oh yeah, what he, he like? Yeah, yeah. Basically, mm-hmm. he thought he killed him. Goes back to the apartment, and the landlord's like, "Hey, rent." He's like, "You'll get your rent when you fix this damn door." <laughs> it's just like. <laughs> yes um but yeah it is it is what, what was your question he was very goofy like he's very funny did you, yeah did, you, did the humor work yes. for you in this movie yes um i think you know the landlord is always funny i think the daughter is always funny you know the whole scene with um what was the scene put some nuts in of... you, you got any with nuts put make me some with nuts yeah oh 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 the one i want to talk about uh elizabeth banks because she's you know pittsfield yes. native Yes, those mm-hmm. banks outside the office, uh, outside JJ's office. What is that buzzer she has that like shakes his entire table? That was very his whole desk. That was very funny of him. Like, what is this one? No, not that one. <laughs> this one. It's like yes, that one. Take some what? What now? Water. <laughs> Don't forget your water. It's like yes, that was legitimately. I think that stuff in the uh, in the Daily Bugle was was probably some of the funnest stuff in this movie and and of the trilogy overall. Yeah, well, I love that. That was probably my, my my. If I had one, you know, moment of like, this is good. This is the best. This is what some of the best parts of this movie and of the franchise is is those little character beats in the office there. Yep. Okay. So so then, how would you? Because I would. I think we would. We would probably both put this as. I mean, I might even put it ahead it's of so Spider Man One, but bipolar is my problem with it. It's just like see, I, yeah, I I do I do think that like. <laughs> I don't know the scenes because like you mentioned the scene where like the first Sandman fight is very funny like gets his stuck but the second one is a lot darker, darker it's like he's, cause he's tragic, and I think that's brutal yeah and I think those tones were and in just the same way that Shakespeare was able to go back between something very funny and something very tragic in the same play I think that this 
kind of does the same thing. And it feels very big and Shakespearean and this kind of lar- these superhero stories are larger than life. And I think that Raimi is a really good person and you do feel his voice. And unfortunately, I think that it does get a little bit stifled by creative outside interference. But a lot of, you know, movies today, a lot of superhero movies today, you don't get to feel that distinctive voice of Sam Raimi. And I should say, you know, because I talked about how I don't agree with the auteur theory and his team, his frequent collaborators, because he does have he works with these guys in the first one, the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's a lot of these guys, with the exception of Elfman, came back to the point where, like, he has Bruce Campbell cameo in every one of these movies. Yeah. Um. I think one person or, you know, one of the biggest actors in this movie and one of the biggest characters in the movie we haven't really talked about is Kirsten Dunst's um, Mary Jane. I feel like this is, again, going back to the stuff I was talking about, I was talking about the um, the agency stuff and she has a career. I'm not saying she didn't. I'm not, and I'm not saying that they didn't focus on it enough, but that felt like if you're going to have a movie with too many people in it, too many characters in it, you gotta do more with her and and him in it. That's the heart of the movie. That's and just having she felt like such a damsel in distress. And there are different versions of Mary Jane for the comic books. There are different versions of her in the movies. I was really um, feeling sorry for Kirsten Dunst as an actress and uh, Mary Jane as a person, which I guess is the point to make you sympathetic to her, to her plight. But I felt I felt sympath- I felt depressed for her and for the character because she just is this person who is trying to communicate with him and again going back to what i said earlier about miscommunication and lack of communication probably should have said you know earlier you know that she was fired again i understand that's a very 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 common point of conflict between any characters is you're not communicating you're not saying what you're feeling you're not saying what's happening to you that's I can't. I, if I'm going to fault this movie with it, I have to fault many other things, many other projects with that sp- same specific point of conflict. And I get that, but she just felt so underdrawn. She she felt so put in the back burner. At the end of a lot of these movies, it's just her falling. It's just her being caught. It's just her screaming. It's just has very little agency. I would have liked. I would have preferred. You know, you're probably going to say, "What do you What do you want out of her?" I'm, uh, just something. Just some her doing something, her helping him in some way, physically, emotionally, um, scientifically, um, socially. She dropped a cinder block. She dropped a cinder <laughs> block. Kidding. Yeah. So very, <laughs> again, just, just this, she's built second to this movie. And if you had told, if you had asked me what was her building, I would have said seventh out of, out of everybody. So I will, I will halfway agree with that. Okay. criticism. Thank you. <laughs> because yeah, <laughs> I, and I hope I feel like I, you know, I don't know if you ever get in like debates with someone about a movie that you just think is okay, yeah. and then you're like, oh, like, oh man, they we really do, like this, this movie, so I'm going to take the other position. Or you have to defend yeah, the or, movie that I'm shitting on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or you know, sometimes it's the other way when someone will be like, you know, if I gave a movie three and a half stars in Letterbox and somebody gave it five stars, I'm like, yeah. Calm down. It wasn't that good. Or if it's the other way, it's like <laughs> I gave this movie three and a half stars and you gave it two stars. I'm like, actually, it was pretty good. You know, <laughs> yeah. so. So I will, but I will say I halfway agree with you is okay. that what I don't agree with is, or what I, what I do agree with is that she does, she is put in the damsel in distress role again. Yes. And it's annoying that that is the third time in all three of these movies that it happened. It felt like Sam Raimi and company did not know what to do with her and to have a resolution for Harry or for Peter and Mary Jane that didn't involve 
him swinging in and saving her and being being a damsel in distress. And none of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies have her as a damsel in distress. She's right. actively helping in yes. no a lot of those in the yes. finales. Yep. So there's clearly a way to do it. I don't remember okay. the Amazing Spider-Man one. If she was a damsel, I don't think it matters. Did they have uh, MJ in that movie? I thought it was Gwen the whole time. Oh yeah, both those. it's it's yeah, it's it's um Emma Stone. But um, which interestingly, it was supposed to be, I guess, in the finale of this, uh, it was supposed to be Gwen Stacy who was the one who was kidnapped. Still, mm. she so they couldn't like be like, well, how do we end a movie without someone a woman that Spider Man cares about being kidnapped? But they were like, <laughs> it really should be Mary Jane. Yeah, which I think is the part of my thing that I disagree with you on is that I think that they're emotional journey in this did feel very real and drawn out and the whole thing about him not talking to her rather not listening to her is not a contrivance but it's part of the plot and the reason she doesn't tell him things is because every time she tries to he just kind of talks about yeah it's so tough being spider-man you know but everybody (laughs) loves me now and she's just like bro can you just fucking stop like and when she has that moment when she gets she gets fired and she feels like she trusts harry who's an amnesiac uh, more than (laughs) she trusts her own boyfriend. And I I love that, you know, so it would feel a little contrived that he's like, yeah, just break up with her. But that scene they have on the bridge where he's, she's like forced to break up with him. She's, she's doing that because he's making her, but then everything she says is completely true and is completely supported that these characters gone. And when she's like, you do this and you do this and you do this. And it's like, yeah, he's been very shitty to her. And I think that their relationship ties into, once again, those themes of forgiveness. It's like, yeah, I've been in relationships in the past where neither of us would let things go and we just let these small fights fester and fester and fester until we just ultimately broke up. And it's like, you know, don't do that. That's not a good thing to do. You should, like, listen to the your your partner. Let them tell you their concerns instead of being like, oh, yeah, like, this is... I not listening and just talking over them and talking about your own shit, you know, listening to them. And then when you legitimately do something that is bad to that, like, you know, something you do something, you hurt them or betray them or whatever, learning to forgive, you know, and that's what Peter learns to do with Sandman. And that's where, and that last scene, which I love by the way that they don't explicitly say they get back together, Yes, but they've, and they don't even, they even, even when they kind of mention it in far from home, he, he doesn't like say they're back together, but he's just like, I have someone we've kind of found like a good way to be, you know, they don't yeah. like go off and get married or anything, but they find a way to forgive and accept each other for who they are, which I think is very powerful and very in line with everything else that this movie has been putting forth. So, uh, but yeah, the, the, her being the damsel in distress yeah, exactly. for the third time in a row, not a good look, not no. a good look. No. And you know, again, in the comics, uh, she has some other job. I don't know. I'm not sure what it was, but just you know, just to give her something to do. It's like, what is what is your job? I'm an actress. What 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 are you actually doing though? <laughs> what did you actually do in this movie again? Just like figure out something for her to for her to figure out. Do some sort of like investigation into who this person was. Like you could have had him say, like, I found my fa- uncle's killer. It's like, Damien, okay. we've already talked. There's too many plots already in this yeah, movie. We can't have it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But again, like she's second billing. She's been in the first two movies. Yeah. She was a big reason why those movies made so much money. It's like, well, maybe you have something else to do. But anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Well, h- how would you rank this among the other live action Spider-Man movies? Do you think it's ahead of 
the head of the the Garfield ones, the head of the T- Holland ones. Like, how does how does this play out in terms of you uh, compared uh, to the other ones? So for me, um, probably would say Spider Man, Sam Raimi, Spider Man one up in the top third. Spider Man two could be in the top five of all of them. Spider Man three, this movie, probably in the bottom three. I I think it's. It's down there. Uh, it could swap places with uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, which I think is the con- consensus is that's one of the worst ones. So I would mm-hmm. say this is down there, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Um, as far as the Holland ones go, I think I have to revisit it. Um, I know the first one's probably up there. First, uh, Homecoming's probably up there in the top five. Let's see. And then Far From Home, probably six or seven. No Way Home. I don't know if you've seen a lot of the uh, sort of revisitations of No Way Home, but a lot of people are saying that that storyline, uh, if you just look at it objectively as a storyline in a movie, is not great. So I'll have to get back to you on that. But uh, as far as right now, No Way Home is probably in the top five. So to, so to just uh, reiterate, Spider-Man um, 3 is last or almost last <laughs> next to Amazing okay. Spider-Man 2 with uh, Mr. Uh, Andrew Garfield. Yep. Yeah, because I was just say I really dislike the amazing Spider-Man films, both of them. Yes. Um, so those ones are like just bottom, bottom of the barrel for okay. me. Fair enough. But I think this one even beats a couple of the Holland ones and maybe even, Sp- and if when you factor in the editor's cut, I think maybe even Spider-Man one, to be honest, which is a good movie, but it's, it's very like you watch it. Like this is a superhero movie from 2002. Yes. And I don't mean it's like necessarily dated, although there is like a dated joke or two in it, but I just mean that the form hadn't really congealed completely yet. It hadn't, really like set into what it was would at spider-man 2 which i think spider-man 2 has like been the template of the entire mcu to a point so i i would say probably spider-man 2 and far from home or no way home excuse me no way home are like the one and two i think no way home yeah the story's not the strongest but i think that movie works very well um with just it's it does nostalgia in a, the right way where it's not cloying or anything it brings back all these themes from all these other movies and puts them in on this this new character. It does a lot of really cool stuff. I like that one a lot. And so honestly, so this one I think is probably my third favorite. If I'm if I'm being completely honest, so I'd say wow. yeah. There's yeah. Wow. There. Uh, so it's I I third I liked third it quite overall, a bit. Like like mm-hmm. including Homecoming, including yeah, Homecoming is probably one of my favorite. Yeah, Homecoming's ones. good. I think that Homecoming's great. Far from Home is is kind of. <laughs> is pretty far from home is is fine i i like it i think it's kind of just it's 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 kind of mid-tier mcu mid-tier Wait, spider-man so, for sorry, me where did you put spider-man 2 this Raimi's spider-man 2 number one that's that's okay. that and right. that you could that either either that one or no way home is number one for me and you're saying like, this one though, is you could flip top three this this one's like a, a bronze but it's like not like those one and two are like way ahead it's okay. not close to gotcha. those one two gotcha. but um, and I really wish you would watch the editors because I think it just All makes right. such a All right. and it's and it's and it's interesting to speaking of no way, yeah, no way home, yeah, which had a cut. You you watch that cut and you're like, this is just some extra scenes that are just a little fun, but there right. it's completely unnecessary. Okay, like that's a movie that's pretty good and it has a cut called the more fun edition, which is <laughs> an appropriate title because it's just like yeah, there's some extra scenes in here yeah. that you didn't really need. But they're kind of fun. Some of them deepen the characters a little bit, but mostly not. Whereas this feels like this is a cut that doesn't change that much. But what it does change 
makes a a world of difference. And I think I bumped it up a whole star rating on the letterbox. I think it went from three and a half stars to four and a half stars uh, on my rating. So this is a movie that I I it was it was that's what it was. It was a movie that just had so much potential, and it wasn't quite realizing it for me. And getting to see this version, I so it's like four bucks to rent on Amazon. Anybody out there who's listening, don't don't like if you if you are interested <laughs> in checking out this other version, and yeah. you're like, hey, I've got four bucks to spend, definitely go check it out. Um, I I would highly right. recommend that. All right, I'll check it out definitely. But yeah, before we completely wrap up, I mentioned that you know we mentioned at the beginning that about the Christopher Young Christopher Young score. And I, I really like the score. Uh, I don't know how you felt about it, but I, I did have a question for you. There's one thing I could not remember about the the theatrical cut, but uh, there's that theme, the Spider-Man theme. Yeah. The, the, you know, that was so prevalent in the first two movies. Um, whereas this one, it has the Venom, which has become yeah. like a sound on yeah. TikTok, you know? <laughs> and and uh, throughout this movie, you hear that Venom theme a lot like it's yes. very like anytime spider-man's starting to feel the the uh the pull of the symbiote <laughs> you get that theme and one thing that the so my question is because i know that the editor's cut kind of restored his whole score that he wrote which apparently had been kind of chopped up and uh not fully used yep. and one thing i noticed watching this so I, i'm curious if it was the same in the theatrical cut is he does it you don't hear the original spider-man theme until the like the real end of the movie when he's going out to save mary jane for the last time after he's fought after he's fought the green goblin after all these things have happened he and he puts back on the suit and that's when you finally for the first time in the entire film hear that original spider-man theme from those first two movies and it it hits you like a brick wall yeah because you haven't heard it at all you're like you really feel like oh shit spidey is back like he is back. So yeah. did, was the music? Was it the same with the musical score was, in the yeah. theatrical? Yeah. Okay. Did, yeah. So what? So why did you feel about that? How did you feel about the soundtrack? Yeah, yeah. It did definitely did kick in at the end there. Definitely gave you chills to hear it finally at the end. Definitely did miss the Danny Elfman score. But yeah, I I, w- I would have preferred uh, you know Elfman score in this. Definitely one of those things you go to this mo- go to these movies for is that score. So definitely, definitely, yeah, definitely missed the the Elfman score in this movie. Absolutely. Okay, I was yeah. trying to get one positive. You to say one positive thing, but I should have known that <laughs> okay. was a yeah no that was a fool's no, errand. That was. was a fool's errand. Absolutely. Yeah. No, this is not. Like, is it a thing where he couldn't use it? Like, it's a rights thing, or did he? No, I think I it it. it no, it was because he used it. And I think it was a thing that I think was done very well is that oh. when you don't hear that movie or you don't hear that score for the entire time, you're like, yeah, this guy, he's, you know, he's not when they withhold it. Right. It's so yeah. much more powerful at the end when you do hear it. And it because it, it really made me emotional after withholding it for the first hour and 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Playing it there at the end being like, we're back. We're fucking back. <laughs> Spidey's here. I'm feeling it again. And he's ready to go. So I was so glad to hear that triumphant return of that music. It felt like completely, it's like, yeah, the character is triumphantly coming back. He's shed, he's shed this 
shitty Venom persona, this emo haircut, strutting down the street to James Brown. <laughs> he's he's shred all that. He's got rid of the Bully Maguire, uh... and we're back to the Spidey we know and love. And that's one thing that that is so important about a musical score is that they can cheat. They can make you feel these things uh-huh. by just playing a thing. And it's you know it's one of those things where less is more by by not playing it until that exact moment, it really makes it that much more powerful and impactful. And that's one thing that I think some of the mar- modern Marvel movies haven't done necessarily as well. But one time that they have done it very well is at the, at the end of Endgame, when the, all the Avengers start coming through the portals, and, the, and you hear, exactly, same concept. You feel like you're like, oh shit, it's happening. They got yeah. the Avengers score yeah. going. And in that same way that that got me pumped up in Endgame, it got me pumped up at the end of this movie. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad for you. <laughs> <laughs> I've never invited you on another episode of this. I got to be me, man. I'm not going to come on here and just be uh, like, yeah, I liked Actually, I liked it. No, I did not like this movie very much <laughs> no, at all. that's fair. That's fair. Crazy. The internet has broken your mind just like everyone else with this <laughs> sure. movie. Do we have to do... Um, so we're gonna do it. We we've relitigated this. You you've come around yes. to this, thinking this is a good movie. All right, now do we have to do X Men Three? Do we have to do Ghost Rider? Do we have to do Blade Trinity? X Men Three has no. Those movies those movies were not good. In the those movies were X Men Three. X Men. I don't even like X. I don't like any of the X Men movies. Really? To be honest, I think X Men Two is overrated, and I think Talking that about the originals or Far From or yes. Far From Home. What about uh, Days of Future Past? Days of Future Past is fun. I do think yes. that okay. That's probably my favorite one. <laughs> yeah. X-Men okay. 2, though. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, those. so the difference between those movies and this movie yeah. is those movies were like, look at the Rotten Tomatoes scores for those movies. They're like 20, and they did not make a lot of money. Although, here's, I'll, I will say, yeah. I think Spirit of Vengeance is a movie I might, Ghost Rider <laughs> 2 is a movie I might cover because it is schlocky and ridiculous and just over the top. It did get bad score. It did get bad critical scores. It did. Uh, and it hasn't had a internet resurgence yeah. like this one had. Um, but yeah, this is a movie. I think this kind of reputation's got reclaimed. Speaking of uh, trilogies that got reclaimed, do we have to go full blank check and just do a prequel trilogy revisit and just go go down <laughs> that road? <laughs> well, that's because Star Wars. Star. Uh, I don't want to get into it, but Star Wars fans uh, they they dislike anything recent, but Marvel fans are are a little better. They like the recent Spider Man movies. Yes. But speaking of speaking of trilogies, like you mentioned, uh-huh. the prequel trilogy. Yeah. This is the end of a trilogy. What is your favorite end movie of a trilogy? What's uh, a movie that ended a trilogy right? Well, there's so many with the MCU, right? There's the Thor trilogy. There's the you know, Avengers trilogy, I guess, if we're going to count. Um, Avengers 1, Age of Ultron. There's or, four of those movies. Four. Okay, fine, fine. So I'm saying trilogy, Damon, Damien. Um, so it's not Back to the Future. That didn't. The third one was not great. You'll probably say it's great because you like bad movies, apparently. Um, the uh, <laughs> everyone loves Back to the Future. You're just an old man who just Back to the Future angry. three people. Everyone loves Back to the Future we three. We covered that morning. on this show. That's a good movie. Is it? Yes. All right. Let me look up some. Name name me some trilogies, and I'll tell you if it's good or not. Just Star Wars. Do you like Which Return one? of the Jedi? Which one? The original. Uh, yes, the, okay. that is probably yeah, the original trilogy is probably one of the best trilogies out there let me see uh major trilogy no probably the okay there's one there's one that's just should be on the tip of your tongue because you watch it we watch this every year 
You know yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm asking you. I'm asking you to oh, say it. I'll yeah. talk about mine in a minute. Lord of the Rings trilogy is the best yes, trilogy of yes. all time. Yes. This Wasn't this in Clearly. a... This is a debate in um, Clerks 2, right? They were, have, they were talking about yes. best trilogies. There's only like, one return and it's of the king. <laughs> uh, Godfather trilogy, no. So, okay, so yes, we've established, to answer your question, and to establish a, a, a champion, a king of Gondor, it is the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy is the best trilogy. Yeah, I think that, that. So yeah, um, yes. uh, yeah. So Return of the King is the the best ending of a yes. trilogy. Yes. Right. Yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah. We, that's that's pretty. That's pretty apparent. So number. What are we talking about? Number two. Let's figure out number two then. Uh, no, no. This is a number three. This is a number three. Spider Man three. No, 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 no. no. I'm saying. I'm saying the. Oh, oh. It's another the second what's, second what's, best what's, trilogy. Second best trilogy. Okay. What is it? Um, the Hobbit. Um, the Hobbit trilogy. Right. No, uh, How to Train Your Dragon. How to Train Your Dragon uh, is a pretty great trilogy. Great, How to great Train Your Dragon too. Three, great score as well. Yeah, very good. Toy Story. Uh, I know there's a fourth. They did a fourth one, but that which is also good. But that third one is kind of the perfect ending to that trilogy. What do you think about the honest. other Sam Raimi trilogy? Evil, Evil Dead trilogy. Oh, Evil Dead. So yeah. that would be Army of Darkness. Yes. I haven't seen it in a while. What do What do you think about Army of Darkness? I just saw it for the first time recently, actually. Um, it's like, it's one of these movies that I go back to and, and I watch and I'm like, there is no plot. There's literally no plot <laughs> to this fucking movie. Uh, overall, fine. It's it's fine. It's it's got the catchphrases. It's got uh, again. I think with this movie and Spider-Man Three and with Army of Darkness, mm-hmm. I think the supporting cast has a lot to to do with it. I was going to mention like why the uh, the Tom Holland movies work for me more so. Uh, did you did you say that the Holland movies were below the uh, Raimi movies for you with Spider-Man? Uh, some of them are okay. I think I said I had both. I had a Raimi and a, and, a, and a Holland in my top two. I was just looking through the cast list. That that is unbeatable. Like uh, comparing the supporting cast of Raimi movies to the to the MCU movies, just un, unbeatable. Uh, Wait, which one are you saying is better? The uh, Holland movies are better in terms of supporting cast. No, Willem Dafoe, supporting like, cast, uh, supporting cast. That's one guy. That's one man. <laughs> okay, what about um? Dr. Otto Octavius, you know, like they literally yeah. brought people from the Raimi movies back because they into the yeah. holiday movies because they were so true. good. True, true, true. Thomas Hayden Church from this movie, you know, let's like. See, let's go back to the your question about best uh, best third movies. Um, World's End. Well, and, yeah. Would, would Spider-Man No Way Home be one, right? Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, yeah. Honestly, I got to revisit it. I I, I keep mm-hmm. hearing, I keep uh, hearing in the, in the grapevine, through the grapevine, where that word is, um, that, the, that the plot doesn't hold up the story to it. Doesn't. See, that, that's the thing. Don't worry about the grapevine. That's that's one thing I think is destroyed the reputation the for this movie. Says, says the man that brings. Yeah, everybody. Twitter, everybody's so concerned about all the, the time. grapevine and the huh? film bros. You bring in film bros. You bring in film Twitter all the time to the conversations. You're telling me not to worry about. I'm the saying, grapevine? yeah, don't worry about them. Don't worry about okay. the fact that film Twitter hates this movie <laughs> because I think that's yeah, like the internet has really been like this movie's bad. Yeah, and I'm like, fuck that. I like okay. this movie, and if you like I a will. movie fucking like it you know don't worry about what the consensus is on the internet about a bunch of angry white dudes typing their computer like you know george lucas ruined my childhood you know that's a there's a really good documentary um about that fanboy uh uh, no no it's a documentary um the people versus george lucas and just like the the anger that fan and the and control that fans feel over their franchises and i'm like it's something that i think is happening with indiana jones something i think happened with this movie where it's just like yeah the internet gets mad because 
you know, something doesn't work for them and it kind of becomes the overriding narrative that like, yeah, this is a bad movie. So you're not allowed to like it. And I think that's complete bullshit. Where do you put, um, last crusade in terms of third movies? That's, you know, that's a good one. I think last crusade is my favorite. Okay. Raiders might be a better movie. They're both basically perfect. Yep. But last crusade, like if I'm going to watch one and I can only watch one, I'm going to watch last crusade. What do you think? Uh, Last Crusade is just in terms of like, again, the supporting cast, uh, Mr. Uh, Sean Connery, great, great duo, him and him and Harrison Ford made a, yeah. gr- made a great duo. Obviously in Raiders, it was Marion uh, throughout it, mm. but, and the second one was just, you know, short round, which was what it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, in terms of like having two characters bouncing off each other, having two amazing actors work together on screen for that movie. Yeah, I would probably say uh, Last Crusade for me. What would you say about World's End in terms of the, uh, again, a, a... That's a, first of all, that's a, so that's a spiritual trilogy. And I actually have not seen At World's End. So oh, shit. I know, it's it's like been on the top of my to watch list because it's like never streaming anywhere. It isn't. And I it did, I worked at a movie theater when it came out and it wasn't at my theater, so I just didn't end up seeing it. It's 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 one of my big blank spots. I mean, yeah. if we count spiritual trilogies, do we have to count Interstellar? <laughs> no, I would say but, no. Yeah. I, uh, I, got, I got one more for you real fast. Go ahead. Yes. And this is a weird trilogy because it's a trilogy of movies in a franchise, but the trilogy is specifically of the mo- movies two, three, and four. And that is <laughs> because they do actually form a tr- like a narrative trilogy. Go ahead. Uh, and that is the s- original Star Trek films. Uh, and Star Trek... You've never seen Wrath of Khan either? Never seen any Star Trek movie in well, I've seen Star I've seen the Mr. Uh JJ Abrams' Star Trek. Haven't seen part okay. two of that. Haven't seen uh what's it called? Beyond Star Trek Beyond. Is Beyond is really good. Is Beyond is, is really, really good. Beyond right. is definitely better than the second one. But right. in the original ones, yeah. Two, three, and four are all great. Two is the Wrath of Khan. Uh, but four is also great because that's the one where they time travel back to uh not it's what they didn't have any money so they're like <laughs> well they're gonna they're gonna time travel back to uh the 1980s when this movie was being made uh because they have to get whales it's so goofy it's so <laughs> fun it's directed by nicholas meyer who also directed a movie with a similar premise uh, time after time so yeah i i think it's just a fun goofy end of end of a kind of star trek trilogy but yeah, that that's those those are probably my favorite part threes of stuff. What about, Do you have um, any any other ones? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it? Uh, is it War of the Planet of the Apes? Oh yeah, War is so I can't believe I didn't think of those because I think that it goes Rise, Dawn, and then War. Right. And Rise is really good, but then Dawn is like legitimately one of my favorite blockbusters. Yeah. I think it's phenomenal. Yes. And war is really good too. War is like yes. uh, it's also it's like one of those times where you're like, yeah, this is still a five star perfect movie. It's just not as perfect as the last one. Yes, but yeah, that movie is good. I'm I'm very hyped for for the new one despite <laughs> yeah. it being a different director. Yeah. Um. But yeah, War of the Planet of the Apes. That's a good pull. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That's I would probably like I said. Uh, Return of the Born King. Born supremacy. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's, or uh, no, born uh, ultimatum. ultimatum. That's ultimatum. what it is. Ultimatum. I always reference that ultimatum as having one of the best 
car chases in any in any movie so i really have mm. to revisit that to uh <laughs> make sure i'm not i haven't been spreading false information but uh yeah born ultimatum as far as i remember it's fantastic fantastic third movie in a, in a series yep yeah yeah the, the what before midnight oh you know midnight it's good it's my least favorite of the before trilogy i, would, I, I think would probably sunrise agree. is the one that really yeah where they're just like it's like one it's like a they're just it's in real time or whatever it's not one cup but it's like shot in real time Yes. That one is one of my favorite movies. Yes, yes. What yes. about Bill and Ted facing the music <laughs> after 20 years, finally making the third part? That one, no. Or 30 years, almost. Matrix yeah. Revolutions, no. Matrix, uh, what was it? Resurrections, the fourth one. But yeah, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, you didn't like Bill and Ted 3? Can't say I did. What about uh, Stream oh, 3? Right. Stream 3? How did we think of that one? I've never seen 3. I've only seen the first two. Gotcha, gotcha. I hear it's not good, though. I hear like... I mean, you know, that's just for the grapevine, so it might be wrong. Um, but <laughs> Terminator 3. I love Rise 2. The... I love Scream 2. Uh, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. That is a bad movie. That, that is, is a bad movie. That Thank you. Movie. That's like Good. fan fiction. That movie. <laughs> it is. It literally is. What do you think about <laughs> Dark Knight Rises? I think it gets more hate than it deserves. I would probably agree with that. Uh, Aliens, Alien 3? Alien Not... 3 is... It's another one where you have to watch the assembly cut. I think it's interesting. It's it's low on my David Fincher rankings, but like, it's David Fincher. He, the guy doesn't miss. <laughs> it's actually going to be one I'm going to be covering in a future episode. I've already got a less guest lined up for it, so tune back Very in cool. for that one, Alien Very Heads. Cool. If you're a fan of Alien the quadrilogy, heads. Finch Boys, Finchmans, the, fin- what, what, what the Finchman. What what have what have Fincher's fans called Finch uh, Finch Boys? Finch heads? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who. who... <laughs> The, the, I think the, that David Fincher would actively hate that question. Yes, I think he probably would. Anyways, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, thanks, thanks, uh, thanks yes. for coming on. You know, and and not pulling any punches when it came that's to what this I do. one. That's that's my whole <laughs> oeuvre. That's my modus operandi, as they say. Because uh, yeah, I don't like the whole. No. You know, this thing is terrible, or it's it's the best thing ever. But sometimes. You have to call a spade a spade. You, you, you just kind of do, you know. That's yeah, and this one I call it's it's. I'm just gonna call it what it is. Fucking great movie. <laughs> I'm gonna. It's gonna. I'm gonna call it like I, I love, see it. Great. I love how great like like it's oil and water. It's like uh, you probably if I had been even a little bit more positive on it, you would have been like, yeah, I don't know. It's, no, it's I wouldn't. Have. I I not. I mean, some I, I did like say like that for some movies. We're like, I, I think that. Two, I, you, I did give this movie four and a half stars on Letterboxd. Like, I do really like this movie. We're, we're um, what do you call it? Two positively charged neutrons. And we just, I affect you. <laughs> I push you to your most positive extremes. And I'm just like this negative thing yes. that you're just like, no, that's uh, actually, okay, fine. I, I wasn't going to praise it so much, but because you're shitting on it, I have to. I have to come with my white knight armor to this movie's defense. How dare you, sir? I'm not for this movie. movie this movie legitimately i really like i thought i was okay. like gonna maybe get you to be like well i didn't love it but these things were good because that's the premise of the show we're on i Damien. will i will say i will say like you mentioned a little while ago in this three-hour podcast that you <laughs> the the mummification of this movie right has has definitely affected mm-hmm. a lot of people's brains you were correct that in my brain i i am a uh chronically online which means the memes i have all seen the memes so many times and so the the part in spider-man 3 when 
he grabs Brock's camera, throws it against the wall, and he's like, later, chump, and he jumps into the he jumps into the river. He does like a frog splash into the river, and he his butt comes out like for some reason. I always think of that scene where he's like, later, chump, and he farts and jumps into the and he hears it's the okay. squeaky go. That's all I could think of during that scene. I was like, yeah, you're, you're correct. You're you're not wrong, man. You're not wrong that my brain is 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 uh, permanently and and unrecoverably irrecoverably broken in in so many ways and it does actually affect my viewing my viewing habits but it is what it is yeah that's that's fair that's <laughs> that's, yeah. that's yeah. fair yeah well well thank you though once again <laughs> went for being on yeah you're welcome you're so welcome yeah yeah this this was fun it's a good way to relaunch the podcast and you know even though like i said this is this is a way that i think is is definitely underrated you know i understand there's people out there a lot of these movies not everyone's going to have the same opinion. Yeah. So it's always good to get a yes. dissenting voice. Yes. Before we wrap up, though, I know we mentioned Midnight Film Society yes. uh, at the top, but where can people find that and listen to it and all that good stuff? <sighs> oh, man, where can, where can you find it? Where can't you find it is the question. <laughs> it's on Spotify. It's on Apple Podcasts. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on all the things. Uh, just go Midnight Film Society podcast and Google that. Google my name ignore many of the allegations against me no <laughs> now google uh, midnight film society get it any, anywhere you get your podcast we are doing uh one more regular show this year we are not uh, it'll be oh, out by the time yeah this is this is out so we got yeah it'll be we'll do one more regular show before the end of the year i was gonna say we're not elite yeah the end elite. of the year has ended at this point damien we're in the future now oh we're in the future oh <laughs> yes. you said that a couple times it just it just went right by it uh so that'll be <laughs> out that has been out so you'll get yes. our top 10 you you will you will have heard our top 10 already we're not so. that far in the future we're past the one regular episode we got next week the top 10 <laughs> what's what's the date what's the date what's the release today date is new year's day it's the first oh, day of okay. 2024 happy yes. new year <laughs> happy new year that's why i said that at the beginning yeah, okay. that was like three hours ago i'm, I'm sweating <laughs> my brain is melted so go go get my podcast anywhere you get it midnight film society on any on any of your podcasters of choice yeah, and then uh, follow you on Letterbox, all that stuff, right? What's your Letterbox? My that's a good question. My Letterbox right now is Klaus it keeps changing. Yeah, uh, Santa Klaus Ginski. So Google, so. Um, yeah, Santa S A S A N T A K L A U S K N S K I at letterboxd.com. Check out uh, all my reviews there. Yeah, and so yeah. If, you know, you're hearing this. That means we've already recorded and released the episode on top five Christmas films. Yes. And next week will be our top, like you were saying, our top <laughs> 10 movies yeah. of the year. I'm excited for that one. That's going to be really cool. So if you guys want to hear me do my top 10 list, that's going to be the only <laughs> place to find it over on the Midnight Film Society. <laughs> me and Damien are both going to be counting down yes. our lists. What I was going to say was like, we ringer right they put out their Mm -hmm. top 10 list already all these you know you listened to film comment just recently you said that was the most pretentious thing you ever heard i agree all of these people are not are not the people we don't they don't represent the the uh the what do they call that the people 
the um the salt of the earth the common the man the, the we, are, we represent the common man we will wait until the movies are actually available to see to review them because we are part of the proletariat we are part of the uh the working class so if you are like us and you you haven't seen most of the movies that people are talking about now you can hear them now now we'll we'll say they are available here they're available in Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania and they're available where people actually work in small town America that we were for. So go and watch those movies after we review them. Thank you. Yeah. And I will, <laughs> yeah, I will. Yeah. Exactly, very well put. Thank you. Thank you. And I will say, yeah. Um, you know, for, for my list, I, you know, there's some stuff that, you know, like you were saying, critics will talk about things that are not going to get wide distribution to like March or something. Yes. So yeah. Like one of the movies that I considered, uh, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be in my top 10 <laughs> list, but one of the ones I considered is woman talking, which got it was it an oscar contender last year yes. uh one best screenplay i uh, was on a lot of people's top 10 list last year got a limited release in 2022 didn't get a wide release until january of 2023 so i counted that as a 2023 movie yeah. so yeah as you say we are for the people i yes. i do <laughs> I, we both still do like all the film critically bullshit yeah you know but we also love stuff like this like stuff that is you know i lo- i just spent as you say, three hours talking about how much I love Spider-Man 3. So I'm not going to be a pretentious film bro and be like, actually, uh, you should watch, you know, the three and a half hour movie about Chinese sweatshop workers uh, that, <laughs> you know, it's like, which I did watch and I did review for a, and it's fine. Oh but um, oh <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, it was an endurance test. Uh, but yeah, yeah uh, check that review out on, um, should be coming soon. Uh, to a local website near you but uh yeah but yeah and and uh besides that this preamble postamble whatever it is <laughs> has, has gone on too long right. but i'll wrap it up by saying check out underrated movie podcast everywhere we're on all the social medias you can email us underrated movie podcast at gmail.com and definitely check out the patreon patreon.com slash underrated movie podcast uh as it is now known underrated disc 2 it's what's called you can sign up for the dvd the 4k or the blu-ray level and you get different perks at every level including bonus podcasts of infinity stones and dragon bones and underdogs which damien has been on both of those shows uh and then at the 4k level which is the highest level for just five dollars though you can choose a movie for us to review on underrated uh so thank you to all our patrons uh damien which is of course one so thank you damien yeah and to all my other patron patrons out there, but thank you just for listening, uh, listening to us ramble about this yeah. movie that the internet hates for so long. <laughs> I actually had a lot of fun talking yeah, about this. I did uh, as well. It was a really good time. So yes. yeah, hopefully you guys out there listening had as much fun as the two of us did talking about it. Till then, uh, next time though, I'll see you guys later. Bye bye.